welcome to Mondo Hollywood. Uh, and we are celebrating Teen Movie Hell. Um, actually, it's a book by Mike McBeardo McPadden. Hi, I'm on the phone. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're joining us from the United States of America. And um, yeah. um, you wrote an amazing book about teen sex movies of the 80s. It's a crucible of coming-of-age comedies from Animal House to Zapped. Thank you for joining us again. Um, you wrote a really good book. It's a basically a movie review book, but you have some like movie tropes like the big race, nerds, mud wrestling, um, things like that. Yes. Those cultural touchstones, yeah, of the 70s and 80s. When you wrote the book, you said you had this idea from 1999, but it wasn't quite ready yet. So what made this ready today? Um, that's an excellent question. I first had the idea for the book actually in 1994, and it almost came out in 1999. There was a version I wrote in 1999. Um I was not happy that it didn't come out then. I am happy it didn't come out now because uh, that would have been a very immature and uh, unsavory approach to uh, an immature and unsavory genre of films. Um, so what made it ready now is uh, I'm a little more, I'm, I'm, I'm vastly more mature and savory at this point to analyze uh, this sort of outlaw film genre that was at the time disrespected and now is even more severely disrespected. I don't and, know. Yeah, it's it's of its time for sure. Yeah, and uh, it's what made it right was you know we ha I uh, well first I, I wrote heavy metal movies so I knew how to do a book at this point and this was a passion project and uh, I had access to all these incredible films and and you know the distance of time you know the additional uh, twenty years after the first version of this allowed me to take a look at the truly larger picture and sort of take a take a snapshot of the entire genre um, with with thoughtfulness and you know I hope fine wit and um, I also you know it almost came out it was originally scheduled for 2017 fall of 2017 on the brink of that the Harvey Weinstein scandal led to the Me Too movement, and I thought, oh, well, I am a, uh, you know, at that point, 49-year-old married white male, um, and uh, well, I guess this was 2018, and uh, these movies were for me, and uh, perhaps uh, I need some other voices. So I thought, I know these incredible film writers, many of them, who just happen to be women. And I would like to uh, hire them to contribute to the book, which is what I did. So we have additional essays by the great Canada's own great uh, Kayla Janice. Winnipeg's own, actually. Um, she, she, yeah, I know Kayla, and she's she's awesome. And I, uh, yes. even, even your uh, partner, Rachel, she wrote Little Darlings Review and Foxes, which, and too, as a lady, those are two really good movies. So I'm glad you got that really second are. voice. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's like delightful. Thank you. Yeah, we watched Little Darlings last night. I'm showing it next week in um, at the SIE Film Center in Denver. So I wanted like to a film a print. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's I'm so jealous. Uh, uh, <laughs> UCLA, I think, has the print. Agfa, the American Genre Film Archive, um, I think, is managing the print right now. But yeah, it's out there, and uh, we're going to show. We're showing Last American Virgin, Joysticks on Friday, and then. Little Darlings is the Saturday matinee. And we watched it again last night, and I was struck 
maybe in a way it has never struck me as what what a powerful movie it is. How how powerfully acted and sensitive it is. Um, whereas it had been sold as just this complete smut fest, which is a fascinating thing to me, um, because these were you know essentially like adult films for children <laughs> back when. Yeah. When you look back at the genre, there are so many good things because there are no songs like Are You Ready for the Sex Girls, which was featured on two soundtracks from the 80s. Yes. yes. Last American Virgin or Revenge of the Nerds, which would you recommend of the two? Well, I'm always going to go Last American Virgin. I'm always going to go away from Hollywood, um, just my personal preference. Uh, having just seen Revenge of the Nerds again, now that that's interesting because you talk about political correctness in the different times. That is the movie that has changed the most in the public's perception. You know, for decades it was beloved as this movie that champions the outsider and the underdog against the bully, and it's now perceived as the worst and most egregious offender of these films. Um, because these nerds are, you, you watch it through the 2019 lens, and they come off as a bunch of incels who are using, you know, revenge porn tactics to humiliate women. And there's no disputing that. I also think there's no disputing that it's, uh, there are many, many hilarious moments in that movie. Uh, Last American Virgin, I would always go with because it's a fascinating film from a fascinating film studio, Canon Films, uh, out, which was created by Israeli cousins. Yoram Golan and uh, sorry Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus, Uh, and they established their studio with an American graffiti ripoff called Lemon Popsicle, which was about three teenagers in Tel Aviv in the fifties. That was a massive hit worldwide, everywhere except the United States. So they wanted to uh, somehow translate that to the United States. So what they did was they updated it from the 50s to the early 80s in Los Angeles, the high new wave era, where uh, you put on um, KROQ and here, Gleaming Spires, Are You Ready for the Sex Girls? And uh, featured prominently in the movie, um, as is the expo- the first exposure a lot of Americans got to uh, the Irish band U2, when uh, I Will Follow plays during a very strange moment in the film. Um, and it's... A, it's uh, it's great. I mean, I've been showing that all summer as I've traveled everywhere, so I'm, I'm so intimately familiar with the last American version. And I'm actually really jealous because you played this at a drive-in in, in what, yeah. where, where was it? Is it Pennsylvania or Upper State New York? Uh, no, we, we I actually, we didn't play last American version. We played um, Revenge of the Nerds at the drive-in. Uh, that was, it's in Pennsylvania. It's about an hour outside of Philadelphia. That is the incredible Mahoning Drive-In. I want to go there one day. Like oh, that, yeah, that seems like a crazy time. It's the best. There's a great documentary about it on Amazon Prime right now called At the Drive-In that I highly recommend. Oh. Um, so let's listen to a little bit of uh, the Last American Virgin soundtrack. Also, like the like I like in your book, you reference uh, the James Ingram song, which is like the most sad that's the saddest ending of a movie I've ever seen in my life. Uh, the last yeah, American I mean, version. That's, that's the big, <laughs> kind of like the big sadistic thrill of showing that movie is I don't prepare the audience for how it's going to end. Yeah. <laughs> I watched them walk out as shell-shocked as I was at 14 when I first saw it. Wow. So uh, let's play a little bit from the last American version soundtrack and, um, and we'll, we'll come back later. Are you ready for the second? The hot, hot, mean, hot, big, hot girls. Are you ready for the second? Girls, the right, right, ultra, vital, nice, nice girls. 
Kicking Up a Fuss by Blow Up on the Up the Academy soundtrack, the Mad Magazine movie, the only Mad Magazine movie. And Mike, uh, what was your thoughts on this movie? Uh, Up the Academy is a tragic film to me because uh, it's it's okay. It's not exactly good, but it, it's good enough. Um, it's not good enough to earn the title as the only Mad Magazine movie. How that came to be was National Lampoon's Animal House, of course, rewrote film comedy in 1978, and Warner Brothers owned Mad Magazine and wanted to test that name out to see if Mad could have its own movie. So a proper Mad movie called The Mad Movie was in development. Now, I am a Mad Magazine fanatic (laughs) from age six onward. Uh, My first tattoo of many tattoos was Alfred E. Millman. So... um, before Warner Brothers would invest in the Mad movie, which would have been a sketch comedy type of film, like Kentucky Fried Movie, hmm. but with all the mad characters, with Spy vs. Spy and the lighter side and everything you dreamt of seeing on the big screen someday, they said, let's slap the Mad Magazine Presents title above another title. They chose an existing teen comedy by Robert Downey Sr., a genius. This is not a genius work of his. Uh, best known as an underground filmmaker who broke through with Putney Swope, an amazing, brilliant satire of advertising and race relations, recently put out on Blu-ray by Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, so they put this Mad Magazine Presents on Up the Academy, got it into theaters. It was rated R. I was 11 years old. I wasn't allowed to see it. Nobody I knew was allowed to see it. It's the Mad Magazine movie. <laughs> incredibly frustrating also really no reason for it to be rated r there's some f-bombs in it some bad language so as a result when the movie bombed warner brothers canceled the mad movie proper now one interesting side effect of up the academy is they let some mad genius put the soundtrack together so what we heard was blow up which is the great theme song by an actual band of teenage punks from los angeles and the rest of the soundtrack is sort of Rather cutting-edge stuff. Gimme Danger is the head villain, uh, the, the kind of psycho commander at this military school for boys, played by Ron Liebman. Every time he comes into the room, Gimme Danger by the Stooges plays. <laughs> There's a weird Lou Reed track. Street she Hassle, yeah. Track again. Uh, an amazing album. An amazing album. Um, Jonathan Richman. Not an amazing film, but an amazing story behind it. So that's my take on Up the Academy. It's unfortunate that it uh, it suffered the, the the pitfalls of like National Lampoon stuff and everything like that. Um, I'm also interested in your take on Ferris Bueller's Day Off because I read your book and uh, you have much like Gilbert Godfrey, you do not like Ferris Bueller. <laughs> I, yeah, no, and uh, I I work on Gilbert uh, the Gilbert Godfrey Gilbert Godfrey's amazing colossal podcast. I do the uh, Facebook and other social media stuff for them. And I was thrilled when Matthew Broderick was a guest, and the first thing Gilbert said to him was, I hate Ferris Bueller. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, So I I was not 
enamored of the John Hughes films at that point going in. Uh, I thought 16 Candles was okay. I was irritated by The Breakfast Club. Uh, I didn't like the basic worldview that, uh, you know, upscale suburban teens know what's best for everybody. It's a, a downscale urban teen. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, when that was a very different place from what the world thinks of now when, they, when you say Brooklyn, New York. Uh, say- this was the Brooklyn, New York of All in the Family and Saturday Night Fever. A lot of, you know, thugs and jamokes and palookas walking around. So, <laughs> anyway... Um, I saw Ferris Bueller, and you got to think of this. Song. I, I had it opened the day after I graduated high school, so I'm a 17 year old punk rocker. I'm listening to the Butthole Surfers and Pussy Galore and the Circle Jerks, the most offensive music. The Mentors. I'm watching obsessively watching like Italian cannibal films and like Ilsa movies. So I'm sitting there watching Ferris Bueller, and as this rich, privileged kid. It, it, runs roughshod over everyone that is lower than him class-wise, I was actually, I was shaking the popcorn out of the bag <laughs> in my hand. I was so angry. I 100%. Because I also didn't think it was funny. Um, that way, if I had laughed, it would have changed everything. But as I'm feeling this, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what it is to be offended. I finally understand what offensive means. I had been ranting about that movie for decades. I'm a, I'm a little disappointed that the rest of the culture has caught up to me. Um, I was recently in the very different Brooklyn than the one I grew up with in and uh, went by the Brooklyn Academy of Music Cinema. And there was, you know, the rotating marquee images of what was coming up. And one said, you know, whiteness in the movies. And it was just a big, that was like a film series and, and a lecture coming up. And it was just a big picture of Ferris Bueller. I was like, <laughs> listen, I was there from day one. <laughs> and again, many of these films are you know, contain the most offensive humor in every taboo topic. But I find them funny, and I think they're coming from a uh, subversive place that is liberating. And I find the humor and the attitude of John Hughes' films in general, and Ferris Bueller very specific, uh, to be oppressive. And um, I like Pretty in Pink. I think that's a good movie. And I like because it has a realistic ending where... uh, the nerd doesn't win, the rich guy wins. And I thought, oh, that is what happens in the teen world. So um, that's my Ferris Bueller take for you. Well, no, and I actually I do love it because it's um, like because growing up like I'm from Canada, obviously. But um, and yeah. we, we did not have that kind of like that kind of class system here. And um, right. and uh, two, like you're 100 percent correct. When I look back at it now, I'm like, he complained. Like, I love your review because you said he complains about getting a three thousand dollar computer and his sister got a car like that's like upper class privilege. Like nobody yeah. like if you're lucky to get that, why are you complaining about it? <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, the thing was, you know, it's presented in such a way like you assume you're going to sympathize with that. Yeah, and people did. I mean, they loved that film forever. So you did pick. You have a Love Missile F one eleven. I don't how like a Sig Sig Sputnik. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Sig Sig Sig, Sig Sputnik. Yeah, it, it is British. a good song. <laughs> uh, it's great. It's great. It's such a good song. <laughs> and everybody will know it because, like, if you've seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I feel like it's like early in the movie. This song, yeah, it's prominent, yeah, and you, and and you just you know right away as soon as that crazy bass line starts.
welcome back to Manda Hollywood here on 101.5 UMFM. And I am joined by Mike McPadden, who wrote a great book called Teen Movie Hell. And this is what we were listening to. And that was uh, Josie Cotton with Johnny Are You Queer from the Valley Girl soundtrack. And uh, what are your thoughts on that movie? Oh, Valley Girl is a terrific film. Um, I've also shown that a couple of times in this uh, promotional tour, the Teen Movie Hell on Earth tour. I'd love to come to Canada, by the way, so out there who could invite me. So uh, Valley Girl is, uh, it's, it's moving, it's funny, it's sweet, it's, uh, a, it's a unique picture that came out and was the one film that was extremely well-reviewed at the time. Uh, even the great Fast Times at Ridgemont High was lumped in with Porky's and a, a Canadian landmark, Porky's, by the way. Oh, yeah, don't The highest grossing film in Canada until Good Cop. No, what is it? Oh, the, cop, the Good Pop. Cop. Yeah, the French movie, yeah. yeah. Um, was the highest grossing Canadian film of all time for decades. Um, but it's uh, written and directed by Martha Coolidge, who uh, would later become the president of the Directors Guild of America. And takes a very sweet and sympathetic approach to teenage romance from the point of view of the title character, played by Deborah Foreman, the Valley Girl, um, cashing in on a teen craze at the time for Val Speak, which uh, was crystallized by Frank Zappa's song with his daughter, Moon Unit Zappa, Valley Girl, which is where, you know, you have Grody to the Max. Now sort of uh, coming back to haunt us in the form of Visco Girls. And the soundtrack is amazing really captures a time and a place. It's early 80s Los Angeles. Johnny, Are You Queer by Josie Cotton uh, was one of the hits. Um, actually did get a little pushback at the time from gay groups as being a little too uh, edgy and offensive. Uh, but the bigger hits from this film are Modern English's I Melt With You and A Million Miles Away by The Plimsolls. And all three of those artists continue to tour largely on the popularity of Valley Girl and what that soundtrack did for them. Speaking of female directors, also uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, the great Amy Heckerling, yeah. Amy Heckerling. Then went on and made it another masterpiece of Clueless. Yeah, um, so if you want this book, Teen Movie Hell, um, it's available on Amazon. That's where I got mine. Yeah. And um, by Mike McBeard and McPadden. And it is 100% really great. And uh, also, too, I want to plug your other book, uh, Heavy Metal Movies, because there are two kind of like, they're capsule reviews. Like, if you love Leonard Maltin stuff, but like a little bit better, <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I love, like, I love your reviews in this. And I also love the Valley Girl review in your book, who did not like that movie. <laughs> great Christina Ward, uh, who is the vice president of Feral House Books. Uh, and a brilliant writer in her own right. This is her Ferris Bueller. There's no other way to describe it. And I thought <laughs> she was so entertaining and made points that I don't, you know, agree with personally. They don't, the movie doesn't hit me the way it hits her. But uh, she expressed them uh, emphatically and entertainingly. I kind of want to talk about Midnight Manus and also a little bit of your Eddie Deason because Eddie Deason actually does an, uh, uh, an essay in your book about his times as a nerd movie actor. Yeah, <laughs> the great Eddie Deason, we can't say enough about him. Um, if the name doesn't ring a bell immediately, the face would, and the voice certainly would. Uh, he does a lot of cartoon voices. This is uh, best described by, by my all-time hero, uh, cult movies author Danny 
Fury as like something like a page of Mad Magazine that came to life somehow. Uh, the ultimate nerd, the ultimate crazy, fast-talking, high-pitched, bespectacled nut. Um, he wrote a chapter for the book. I'm beyond honored to have him included in any way. Yeah, in Midnight Madness, he's the bad guy. The, he's the leader of the white team. He, he I don't know. I would say, well. I don't know. I feel like Leon is the bad guy in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's uh, fluid. The perception of Midnight Madness through the years can change. Uh, but over-the-top hothead, um, another brilliant villain turn for him is in uh, my, actually my favorite movie in the book. Not, I'm not going to say it's the best, but it's the one I love the most. It's called Surf 2, The End of the Trilogy. Yes. And Eddie Deason plays Dr. Menlo Schwartz, a mad scientist who has a lair under the beach, which is probably like Malibu or, or Muscle Beach in Venice, where he wants to turn the world into his zombies, starting with the, you know, the Muscle Beach bodybuilders and all the bikini bunnies up above him. Uh, a crazy, again, very Mad Magazine-like parody of Frankie and Annette beach party movies, but not in the airplane mode, just a, just a wild, punk rockish colorful crazy surf farce and there and never was a surf one. Oh, right that's part of the joke there never was a surf one right and 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 actually too i like your review of that too because you said there's like a thing they actually did it with ruth buddy they there was like a um a, almost like brian de palma split screen but they did it physically Live, yeah. They shot it live, yeah. It, and I think, like, if, if Woody Allen had put that in a movie, you know, it would be rightly praised as, as just, like, this brilliant stroke. Yeah, it's, it's a live split screen with the actors speaking and moving in unison next to each other to kind of show how the two surfer heroes live the exact same life with their parents. It's And it has a really good cast, like Eric Stoltz and Cleavon Little from Blazing Saddles is in it. Uh, Ron Palillo Horshack from uh, Oh yeah, right, Welcome yeah. Back to uh, Lyle Wagoner playing uh, the police chief, Chief Boyardee. Oh, from, yeah. Uh, Cal Burnett show. Uh, an all-star cast, yeah. Tom Villard, who uh, is a, a cult movie actor from Popcorn and was on a TV show called We Got It Made that lasted like four months and for some reason everybody remembers uh, he plays one of the zombified punks who gets in the great gross out eating con like garbage eating contest oh yeah hilarious. and he is also in One Crazy Summer he was with, paired with uh, oh yes, Bobcat. yes yes One Crazy Summer with Bobcat Goldface one of the Stork brothers right um, so let's just play I want to play Midnight Madness because I love the song and uh, like so that great. that movie is ugh, oh, it's so close to my heart and then um, so we'll play that song and then uh, we'll come back
to Amanda Hollywood. Uh, so that was uh, a song from the movie Joysticks by the band Legion. Legion, they have such a scary heavy metal name. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually, yeah, ties in. If you're into heavy, mo- heavy metal movies, you should actually check out his other book. You're a person after my own heart. You, ha- you- oh, thanks. <laughs> like, I'm just like so excited. Um, and uh, I want to close off the show with uh, Little Darling's soundtrack. I actually watched this early this morning, like, again. I've seen it so many times, but it's a Chrissy McNichol, Tatum O'Neill movie. Tell me a little about this movie um, and the, the track uh, Shake It. Uh, so it's the, the opening track for the movie, which I have to say, you know, the soundtrack of this movie, because uh, there's a John Lennon song prominently featured. They haven't been able to get the rights to that. So this has kept the movie off of Blu-ray forever. It didn't even get a DVD release. Oh, my love. But it love, is available yeah. now. You can buy it. Um, a really good copy of it on Amazon uh, for six ninety nine. So hopefully this is the, like going to lead to the great um, Blu-ray that we've all been waiting for forever of Little Darlings. Um, so this song is by Ian Matthews. It plays during the opening credits after we meet Christy McNichols' uh, amazing angel character who responds uh, in a very 2019 when she's being sexually harassed by one of her fellow teenage teenagers uh, by kicking him where he's going to feel it the most. And we go right into this lovely sort of uh, swinging, upbeat rock song um, by uh, Ian Matthews, who was the uh, member, who was a member of the British folk group Fairport Convention. And then I guess had this sort of uh, yacht rock career following that. It's a great song. Fits the mood perfectly. Because she just like lights up the cigarette and there's Kiss the Sky and the junk and that's it. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much, Mike, uh, for coming over and um, and and be on our show. If you're into any kind of movies, like uh, just go onto Amazon and buy this book. Great, I agree with that uh, message. Thank you very much. <laughs> this is a great fun. Thank you, Amanda. Uh, and and let's listen to Ian Matthews with "Shake It" from the Little Darling soundtrack. <laughs> Thank you. 